Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Good morning, everybody. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture on this Tuesday. Lots of good topics on schedule for today. We're trying to hook up with Mike, but in the meantime, we've got lots of things to look forward to today, including USDA's WASD report numbers coming out later today. Due to a good export sales pace, USDA is expected to lower ending stocks on both corn and on soybeans. Not much expected when it comes to wheat numbers in today today's report. Now, USDA also yesterday said less than 10% of corn and soybean futures, or corn and soybean crops, I should say, nationwide, are left to be harvested. Meanwhile, winter wheat is advancing as well, right around 93% or so planted as of Sunday, according to USDA. Of course, on Capitol Hill, we're still wondering who will take place in USDA for new leadership. Some names have been thrown out there. Marsha Fudge of Ohio. Also, Colin Peterson of Minnesota, after losing his re-election bid. Another name that has popped up has been Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, former senator, and she served on the Ag Committee. I believe we've got Mike on the line right now. Mike, can you hear us? I can hear you, Rusty. All right. Let's get it underway. All right. Sorry for the uh, technical difficulties here. Todd Neely, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. My morning just started off like Nebraska's football season. Oh, ouch. <laughs> You're still yeah, searching for that right. first win, right? Yes, we are. It's probably... Probably not going to happen this week either. We play Penn State, so yeah, yeah, that's coming. It looks like uh, two teams will be desperate for a win there. Hey, let's uh, let's get into some uh, some of the things. The story you've been covering: interesting ethanol in the courts story. Tell us about it. Yeah, Mike. You know, uh, there've been a number of lawsuits filed. Uh, two of them were in Illinois, and one was in Nebraska, um, and they have been challenging Archel Daniels Midland. Um, claiming there, there was ethanol market manipulation, and uh, what this means is that uh, a lot of a lot of the lawsuits have been focused on, uh, you know, the ability for ADM uh, to control control the markets by flooding the terminals with ethanol and, and whatever the case may be. Uh, we had a ruling in Nebraska here recently in the last few days. Um, they've decided to move the Nebraska case to Illinois because all the cases are are very similar. There's two others in that state. Um, and so the judge in Nebraska said that uh, they're all substantially similar cases, and so he's moving them all to Illinois. And uh, as you know, ADM is based in Illinois, so uh, the thought is this gives them a, somewhat of a bit of an advantage uh, when, when uh, pursuing this case. Um, but we'll wait and see what happens. I do think that uh, Arch or Green Plains could uh, very much benefit from having all those cases together in terms of uh, sharing information and uh, all the things that go with uh, with uh, prosecuting the case. So we'll watch that one closely. 
you were talking about uh, possible changes, names for uh, positions in a Biden administration. I tell you something I'm watching. We've just went through four years of getting a new Waters of the U.S. rule, getting the controversial right. one changed. Now, do you think the Biden administration would want to change it back? You know, Mike, that's a, that's a great question. I do know that, uh, you know, when the Trump administration put out the new rule, there's been a lot of opposition to it from environmental groups uh, and even people who are former members of the Obama administration. Uh, they definitely wanted to go the way of the 2015 rule, which expanded uh, the reach of, of the Clean Water Act. You know, but this case, uh, this, or this situation has been ongoing for years. You know, we've had changes in administrations, uh, changes in the Clean Water Act, and it's kind of been a back-and-forth thing for a while. Um, you know, assuming Biden is certified as, as, the, as the president, I think that uh, we have a pretty good shot of it going back the way of the Obama administration. Wow. took four years to, to change it to the new rule. I wonder if it takes four years to go back to the old one. Uh, you know, I think quite possible. You know, you know there's still some cases pending in court uh, regarding the Trump rule, and I think that uh, it is possible that a new P- a new EPA uh, will call off the dogs on that case and, and just allow uh, the Trump rule to, to basically fail. Um, you know, it's something that happens in, in various cases where, um, you know, a new administration will go in and they really don't defend a, a rule in particular. So, uh, it's all going to depend, too, on who's going to be the, uh, you know, if there is a new EPA, if it's going to be, uh, you know, who's going to be uh, leading the EPA. Uh, there's a lot of talk out there. Mary Nichols is one of the names that's come up. She's uh, she's a, a board member of the California Air Resources Board. Um, you know, California's done some really good things with that, and also that's not necessarily a bad thing on that, on that part. But uh, there's so much in flux right now. I guess we just have to wait and see how everything plays out. Yeah, they've done some good things for ethanol on ethanol, but yet they're starting to try to make a move away from gasoline-powered engines, too. That is very true. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy because, as you know, we've seen uh, the governor of California issue an executive order on moving away from fossil fuels. But you look at the low-carbon fuel standard in California, and it's, uh, it's really turned into quite a good thing for ethanol. In fact, uh, there's quite a bit of suggestion that, uh, the state's going to keep expanding that unless, uh, you know, we go away from gasoline. I think definitely, even though most of the attention will be on who will be the new Secretary of Agriculture, I'll watch more closely that next EPA administrator. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Mike, we've seen <laughs> we've seen a lot of battles in the past decade as it relates to EPA. First, uh, you know, dating back to the Obama administration, uh, there were a lot of things that agriculture came out against and was very concerned about. And I think you're starting to hear some of that now. People are really starting to wonder, uh, Trump, Eric Biden is uh, to be the next president. What, you know, what direction are we going to go? Are we going to find a middle ground on EPA or not? And, uh, you know, there's just really a lot of a lot of doubt out there. And I think agriculture is watching this extremely closely. Yep, a lot of questions, that's for sure. Todd, thanks a lot. Got off to a slow start, but uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, not a problem. Thank you. Take care. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk weather patterns and the concern over the dry weather pattern that we have, even though some areas are finally getting some precipitation here this week. But the concerns moving forward about drought. We're going to talk with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Then coming up later, we're going to talk markets with Todd Holtman. He's lead analyst for DTN. And then we'll wrap up the show with uh, some of my thoughts on where we're at 
post-election and the controversy that still surrounds uh, the election results. I'll have some thoughts on all that. But coming up next, drought concerns as we go into winter and look ahead to next spring. We'll talk it over with Dennis Toddy, USDA Midwest Climate Hub Director, next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you Choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the Fish and Wildlife Service said that the gray wolf in the lower 48 states has recovered to the point where it is no longer needing to be listed as an endangered species. Let's talk it over with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Explain, Caitlin, for those that uh, aren't familiar with this situation, why this is such an important issue. So we've seen significant depredation on livestock. We've seen impacts from, from single animals, single predators across a range. And so what this delisting actually means is that livestock producers, that other stakeholders and states themselves are going to be able to use the tools at their disposal in a more coordinated way to address problem animals and to decrease those incidents of uh, predator and human interaction. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics, maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics, like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere, because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision. Never settle. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, 
Back to Mike Adams. Well, even though there is some precipitation moving across the country today, the growing concern heading into winter is drought. Dry conditions and what that could mean as we head to next spring and planting time. Let's talk about it with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, uh, how concerned do you think we should be about this pattern? Is it something that uh, uh, looks like it's going to stay with us for a while? I, I would I would rate this level of concern as let's keep an eye on this. I don't think it's anything we want to to be a huge issue right now. But, I mean, if you have dry soils, and we're talking western, northwestern part of the Corn Belt, if you have dry soils right now, you might start thinking about in the springtime what's happened, you know, what happens if we're dry in the spring, and then that continues from your marketing and from your planting standpoint and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, we are getting a little bit of help right now in, you know, in Iowa, uh, parts of Missouri, and then there's a, a little bit in, in Nebraska, though the Nebraska one is, is more frozen precipitation right now. So we are getting some benefit from there. But, you know, I, I was passed on some, some soil moisture information from northwest Iowa yesterday. And, uh, you know, typically you're going to have 10 to 12 inches of moisture in that profile. And, the, the you know, we had some that had two inches in, in the five-inch five uh, or the five-foot profile. So it's something you got to keep an eye on. Unfortunately, it's not something we're going to resolve this fall. When it is dry going into winter, hard to hard to replenish during the winter, isn't it? Well, it, it really is because you, you got two things. One, climatology in that we don't get big precipitation events during the wintertime most times. You can. There are some times, but most times you can't. And then part two is that especially as you go further north in the Corn Belt, soils freeze up. And we, you know, with this nice uh, temperatures we had earlier this week, we're nowhere near freeze up yet. But those dry soils will freeze a bit more quickly. Uh, so we have to, so, you know, when that freezes up, it's, it's unlikely or, or less likely for us to be able to get moisture in that profile. So both of those things leave us uh, in a situation where we need to get some things happening in the spring. Again, now, on the off side, there are some pluses to this uh, in that more of our, our issue in, in recent years has been um, wet falls and then wet springs where we've been struggling to get things in in, in the springtime. If we have dry soils, uh, it, there's a better likelihood of being able to get out earlier in the spring and not get the compaction issues, you know, we get things in the ground in, in much better condition, in much better shape. But then obviously you're at a higher risk of, of you know, what you need in the way of, of precipitation going on throughout the year. Yeah, good and bad to all this, of course. Uh, we weren't uh, cutting ruts and things like that trying to get the, the harvest done this year, so that was good. Uh, but uh, there's always that concern when it's, when it's dry. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Uh, so, Dennis, is this part of La Nina? Um, yeah, I, I think it is uh, a connection with La Nina at this point, uh, because part of what we see in La Nina falls, especially late fall, tends to be uh, warmer and drier conditions, particularly out in the plains areas and, and, and you know, kind of edging over to that I-35 area. So I would say it's probably partially related to that. Um, you know, we are in a in a, in a we are in a La Nina right now, and that's going to be with us going on through the through the winter. 
so we're keeping the eye on, on the progress of that and the strength of that as to what it means for us going on, uh, because that is, um, there's been some, some recent work done by some folks in NOAA pointing out different strengths of La Nina and the impact it has on what it, what it looks like. You know, we, we often talk about La Nina's being colder. Well, actually, La Nina's tend to be warmer, uh, especially in this late fall, and, and what stronger ones tend to be warm late fall, which is what we've seen so far. We've had very lovely conditions. Earlier part of the week was great for wrapping up harvest, lots of activity, uh, lots of activity trying to get wrapped up and, and finally field work being done. So that's a good thing. But we are going to have to keep an eye on La Nina going on through the winter as to what it means for us. Uh, and and the you know the, the severity of it and how much it means for us going on through the winter, um, yeah. So that's where we're sitting right now. Yeah, and the the fact that when we look at that drought monitor, that map covers a lot of area. I mean, it it has really grown this year. It it really has. Uh, you know the the areas that that it, for you know for people who've not looked at that recently. Uh, much of the western half of the U.S. is in some level of drought and extending uh, parts of the Corn Belt into the northeast. Really, the only place that's in, in, been in pretty good shape has been the southeast. It's been, been fairly wet overall. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the problem, you know, this feeds back into our original discussion about soil moisture. That's our, our big concern right now. And those areas in the eastern Corn Belt, Climatology is, is, is better for them, and that we expect to get some rainfalls, uh, you know, in the later fall, and we can get some of that in the winter. Uh, that the plains area up in the northern plains and much of the west, uh, you know, it's harder for some of these areas, especially in the plains, to get much precipitation this time of year. So that's why we're not expecting to get much improvement in that drought situation as we're going along. So be prepared for that for the drought monitor look you know, very similar throughout the year unless we can get a few big events to come through to try to change things. And and right now we're not expecting to see much of, much of that much of that improvement as we're going along over the next month or two anyway, for sure. We had this super active hurricane, tropical storm season, but that didn't seem to push much moisture up into the Midwest this year. Uh, you're right. It, it We've it's been more in the southeast and mentioned the southeast being wet overall but when they have entered you know actually the the only one that really got into the midwest was the one that happened in the early summer but you know we talked about back in the early summer are odd things happening in 2020 who had remnants of a hurricane going through the, the central u.s in, in june uh but most of the of those have stayed further in the southeast They've inched up around the Ohio Valley in a couple of occasions, but most have stayed far to the southeast. So it really hasn't helped too much over in some of those areas. Far eastern Corn Belt has been wetter. Uh, they've been a little slower on harvest, but uh, otherwise uh, the, the, the moisture from those hurricanes. But, yes, it has been a very active hurricane season, and we still have uh, one going on in, in the Gulf. And then another system was named that's out in the Atlantic right now, so it's not going to be impacting anything. But uh, Ada is still messing around with in, in the Gulf of Mexico, driving forecasters crazy because of, of its projected path right now. Can you tell, I mean, does history tell us about La Nina? Do we know if it's going to be a strong one, a mild one, or do they change during the, you know, as it happens? Or, or what's, what's history tell us on La Nina's? Right. Um, you know, 
the what we look at when we talk about strength of La Nina is how uh, how cold the water is in Central and Eastern Equatorial Pacific. That's how those are rated um, for for their strength. And the the colder the water is, the more it tends to change what happens in the atmosphere. And then we watch what changes in the atmosphere and how that uh, impacts areas around uh, you know around the Pacific. Uh, it does have some impact on South America. It does have some dryness issues in South America related uh, related to it. Um, the strength of it also seems to have an impact uh, when it reaches us, as in the stronger Laninas actually don't act quite uh, like we think of typical Laninas. Because uh, the strongest Laninas are about 50-50 as to whether they are uh, warmer or colder. Uh, the, the, the moderate to weaker Laninas are actually the ones that kind of look more like La Nina conditions. Uh, and what those are, just to remind people, Southern U.S. has a better chance of being drier and warmer. Um, there is a storm, pa- storm track that sets up typically uh, Ohio Valley Great Lakes area, so they tend to be wetter. And then in the Northern Plains has a slightly better chance of being cooler and wetter also. So there's a, there's a chance of some more winter storm activity in the Northern Plains, Great Lakes. Uh, and then we talked about the Ohio Valley dryness. We're not concerned about that there because it's more likely to, to get a bit more active somewhere in that area. Um, and then the area in the, the central plains uh, tends to be dry. Uh, so that's why we're concerned about these dry soil areas that they already, uh, you know, that we're expecting uh, that dryness to continue. So winter wheat, rangeland areas, probably aren't going to get a, a ton more. Well, that's why these rains have been helpful here in the last couple of days but we're going to need more to try to help them out as we're going along here. Got a feeling we'll be talking about this all through the winter right to spring. Dennis, thanks a lot for the update. Happy to do it. You guys take care. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub on those uh, growing drought concerns. Up next, we'll talk markets with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. I've seen a lifetime of farming, and the one thing you can count on is change. So, now there's a new inoculant for soybean growers from Lalman Plant Care. The new rhizobium species and unique technology and Lalfix Pro Yield Liquid Soybean deliver improved nitrogen fixation and iron uptake. I've seen a lot of change, but this, well, this changes everything. Contact your Lalleman sales representative today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain futures trending higher. Corn, soybeans, Chicago wheat, Kansas City, and Minneapolis, too. We'll have new WASD numbers coming out from USDA later on today. Lower estimates expected for ending stocks for 
corn and soybeans are expected. Less than 10% of both corn and soybeans left to harvest nationwide, according to USDA. Illinois corn, 95% harvested. Iowa, 94%. Nebraska, North Dakota finished harvesting soybeans. Overall, winter wheat planting inching ahead last week to 93% complete as of Sunday. In the wheat futures, Chicago December up 6.5 at 6.04. Kansas City wheat December up 4 at 5.56 and 3 quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 2.5 at 5.57 and a quarter. December corn up 4 and a quarter at 4.11 and 3 quarters of a cent. March up 3 and 3 quarters at 4.19. Soybeans November up 6 and 3 quarters at 11.11 and 3 quarters. January at 11.20 up 9 and a half cents. $2 to $2.40 higher in soybean meal. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures December up 15 at 111.92. February near unchanged down two cents at 115.07. Feeder cattle November down 20 at 141.42. January up 30 at 141.02. Lean hog futures December contract down a dime at 65.50. February down 12 cents 67.32. Outside markets on Wall Street the Dow up 117. The S&P down 16. Nasdaq down 122. Crude oil up 78. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Okay, so new WASDE numbers today. We'll be digesting those and analyzing those, breaking those down. But let's uh, let's look at where we're at right now. Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. And Todd, thank you for joining us. Uh, let's take a look at what we know, and that is harvest is wrapping up. We see the numbers uh, uh, on a very good pace this year. Uh, we know about the, the soybean situation, all the excitement that's been there in the market here lately. Uh, it's just as we kind of wait to see just how exact we can get on this. But what we do know is we have a much tighter stock situation with soybeans than we anticipated we would have at this time. Yes, uh, and thank you for having me, Mike. You're absolutely right. And that is really, I think, holding the entire grain complex up uh, right now as it has uh, spillover effects to to all the crop prices. But 
Uh, USDA's last ending stocks estimate of 290 million bushels put us down uh, into the lowest supply situation in five years, but I don't think we're done bringing that down. Most analysts are expecting a lower uh, ending stocks estimate later here on Tuesday, and uh, some, are, some are looking aggressively lower uh, in, in the end. USDA probably will have an incremental change, so we're, we're still looking around the 240 million bushel uh, area today, which would still be a five-year low and very supportive for soybean prices where they're at. Some other private estimates are getting down closer to 100 million bushels, which is dangerously tight. And I can't say they're wrong because all the uh, forces are in play to uh, possibly make that happen. So a lot of farmers probably sold a lot of beans at $10 uh, and then saw them go to 11 kind of wishing they'd have held on. But 10 was certainly better than we'd expected it to be as well. Uh, so are you now encouraging people to look at pricing opportunities for next year? Should they be thinking about locking in some of those prices? Uh, on soybeans, I'm not yet. And, and by the way, I'm one of those guys that was selling on the way up and encouraging others uh, to sell simply because of uh, where we'd come from and, and how awful this year was. It just seemed like a wonderful gift to get such a good uh, cash-positive price at harvest time. Uh, but on the new crops, and, and we still have some left over to, in case this market gets really crazy, so we're still looking forward to that a little bit. In the case of new crop soybeans, uh, we're just breaking above the $10 mark on the November of next year uh, contract right now. And given the situation, I, I just don't see any rush uh, on the new crop yet. I feel a little differently on corn. We've actually uh, encouraged the 25% sale on corn around 393 and we're uh, a little up from that right now. Uh, but corn does not have the extreme tight supply situation that we're facing here on beans. So We'd like to find out a little more about uh, South American weather and see how this Chinese demand plays out for soybeans. Talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. But, Todd, if if we're if the markets are encouraging more bean acres next year, doesn't that uh, kind of put some uh, bearish pressure on the markets if we're going to plant a bunch more acres? Uh, yes. Uh, that is one bearish factor, but at the moment, I think the market's looking at as down the road, and the supply crunch really is right now. Even before we get to planning next year, we've got to talk about what Brazil's crop is going to do, and the latest estimate from uh, Brazil's crop agency this morning is near 5 billion bushels at 135 million metric tons. So uh, we also have a little more rain in the forecast for both Brazil and Argentina this week. So uh, that's making things uh, a little more cautious there about what Brazil might be able to deliver in early 2021. But between now and then, that's where the real supply crunch is. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. And in our last segment, we were just talking about dry conditions in the U.S., concerns about drought going through into the winter and into next spring. That, I guess, could be supportive of bean prices, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's not just the western U.S. anymore as it uh, was the past couple months. It continues to encroach uh, into the more of the mainstream Midwestern states. Of course, we're getting a little precipitation uh, across the country today, and we'll uh, get some of these uh, winter storms. But you're right, how we fare over this winter and how that sets us up for spring is going to be uh, watched very closely. 
Okay, as you mentioned, it's a whole different story with with corn because uh, it's a different stocks picture. Do you see any big breakthrough for corn? Uh, I think the best thing going for corn right now, well, there's two things I'll cite. Number one, uh, behind this strong export demand for China has been unexpected sales, or for corn, excuse me, has been unexpected sales uh, from China, and their domestic price is still high, just, just shy of $10 a bushel on the Dalian exchange. So there continues to, to be motivation for China to buy corn, and the way the cards have fallen this year, uh, U.S. Has, has been the main supplier. Ukraine's crop uh, is dry and less than it was expected earlier this year. And the South American states, I think, basically are, are out of both corn and soybeans as far as uh, exports go. So the U.S. is sitting very good in that regard. Um, I mentioned we don't quite have as big a surplus in corn expected. Uh, a lot of us are looking for USDA to lower the ending stocks estimate today down near 2 billion bushels, and that's still in line with what we've seen the past four years. The other bullish thing for corn, and, and uh, it, it, it's basically the soybean influence. You know, not only are soybean meal prices going higher, but that also helps prices of distillers' grains uh, and, and helps that ethanol profitability, uh, which we really need to come back after being hit by COVID this year. So. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see any significant selling in the corn market until we get some kind of assurance that the, the soybean supply situation is going to be okay, and we're just not there yet. What about the wheat market? Wheat has had a phenomenal fall, and uh, basically it's been dry weather concerns, like we mentioned here in the U.S. for a lot of the winter wheat areas but also in Russia and eastern Ukraine. And anytime you talk about dry weather in that breadbasket uh, of wheat in the world, uh, wheat prices and wheat traders pay attention. Now, it's still many months ahead before we get to harvesting the 2021 uh, winter wheat crop, but it look, does look like we're going into dormancy in southern Russia in a very dry condition, perhaps the driest uh, we've seen in 30 years. Uh, looking back at the past couple of months, we, there just has not been the moisture uh, to help that crop. So um, that's another thing that's going to be closely watched early in 2021. It's helped our both our winter wheat prices, Chicago and Kansas City on the board, uh, do very well. Chicago had long-time resistance at $6. It's cracked above that now. Uh, and, and we're still kind of playing up and down with that 6 mark, But just the fact that we're even toying with those kind of five-year highs uh, is a remarkable opportunity. So uh, somewhat like corn and soybeans, we've advised taking advantage of at least part uh, of the winter wheat crop here. And uh, if we get uh, more upside this spring, that will just even cap it off better. So it would seem like we're going to go into 2021 with better market prospects than we had for much of 2020, uh, although we've got all these unknowns and, and moving parts and, of course, the risk that go along with it. But the opportunity seems to be for a very strong upward trend in markets going into 2021. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to even say that out loud, it gives me a little bit of a shiver <laughs> because I probably would yeah. have said that a year ago, too, <laughs> Yeah. before we, we learned about this new word called coronavirus, uh, which we had never heard of. And, and uh, so <laughs> we, we always keep our uh, 
fingers crossed, but you're absolutely right. The other thing that makes me nervous about this situation is a lot of it is uh, weather-based and weather-enhanced. Yeah. And, of course, uh, that type of thing can always change. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you have to, whenever you start making any kind of predictions or look too far ahead, all you got to <laughs> do is think back to 2020, right, and just how this year has unfolded and realize that uh, you can make all the long-term forecasts and projections you want based on the best information you have at the moment, but realizing how quickly that information can change. And I think that's an important part that we can't talk enough about because uh, so often I think uh, we as an analyst group get caught up in making estimates all the time, but there are certain things that really are not prone to making good estimates. Sometimes we have to just leave the blank alone and say, that is a, a feature I don't know. So for instance, one of those things right now is how much corn does China have in surplus? Uh, USDA says 7.44 billion bushels, but I think everyone would agree that that's overinflated. But the answer is because we don't have access to uh, what those actual supplies are in China, we have to say, I don't know. And I think that's better than making a bad guess. And it helps us more in uh, understanding the true risk of the market that we're facing. Yeah. Sometimes the more we think we know, we realize what we don't know, right? <laughs> we find yeah. out what we didn't know. <laughs> Markets are a very humbling influence. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And this has been a, this year has really taught us that lesson for sure. Todd, always good to talk with you. We'll stay in touch. We'll have these uh, new WASDE numbers to be talking about. And uh, uh, of course, keeping an eye on the weather here and in South America. So we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Well, as I've said many times, 2020 has proven to be a tough year for those in the forecast business, whether you were trying to uh, forecast markets or you were trying to forecast the election results. And that is still up in the air. Yes, uh, everyone now assuming, or most people assuming, Joe Biden's the uh, next president, but the challenges are not over yet. There's still some counting to do. I'll have some thoughts on that when we come back. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. 
At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer joins us. And there's a couple questions that were really interesting related to current conditions. One of those is one of the questions that goes into the Ag Economy Barometer and the Index of Current Conditions that basically asks whether their farm operation today is financially better off, worse off, or about the same compared to a year ago. Those that said it was better off stands at 25%. That might sound low, but that's a full 10% above where it's been during the life of the survey. And so certainly that question, people were much more optimistic. The other one is we've been asking the last two or three months about cash rents in 2021. And when we asked that question in September, only 8% thought that cash rents in their area were going to go up. That increased to 38% in October. And that tells me the profit prospects look a lot better. And that means that they expect an upward pressure on cash rents. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking about propane planning heading into the winter season. And we're talking with Dennis St. Aubin, a propane marketing expert for CHS Energy. Dennis, we've just finished a, a harvest season that had pretty light propane use for crop drying this year. Hard to know what winter will bring us, of course, but how do propane supplies look for the heating season, in your opinion? The nationwide propane supplies are in ample stock. Uh, we're positioned well as we head into winter as an industry. And, you know, really the, the challenge from a, a propane supply standpoint is really looking at where is the gallon when the demand comes at us in the winter season. So it's really about uh, preparing and planning and, and making certain that, you know, we know where that cold weather is going to be moving in and preparing and, and getting our terminals well supplied for that. Well, how far ahead should people be contracting propane supplies for farms and homes? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And one, I, I guess I really defer for them to work closely with their local propane marketer to identify what propane propane programs they do have available, but traditionally we see a lot of those programs offered in the spring or summertime and, uh, you know, programs such as budget or prepay or maybe there's a deposit type program that they may offer. But uh, traditionally it's been a spring, summertime type of an offer, but again, work with that local supplier. Propane being a commodity, it's trading every day and changing in prices, so it's something you have to, to stay in touch with with that local marketer. Good tips from Dennis St. Aubin, a propane marketing expert for CHS Energy. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as the controversy still swirls around this year's presidential election, just wanted to share some of my thoughts on where we're at and what we've hopefully learned through this process. You know, as Joe Biden makes plans to move into the White House, the current occupant has made it clear he's not ready to move out. And although the media has declared the election over, the legal challenges, including recounts, are not over. Did voting irregularities take place? I have no doubt they did. After all, I'm from Illinois, a state with a history of such things. I grew up hearing the saying, vote early, vote often, and people were only half kidding when they said it. The question is, were there enough illegal votes cast to change the outcome of the election? It's doubtful, but still, we should find out for sure. We should also take every measure possible to keep those irregularities from happening again. Regardless of who winds up winning this election, we should all, of both parties and even independents, we should all want to have a fair and accurate election process. Seems strange to me that we take the word of the media about who wins our elections. When did we get to the point where we allow networks to declare who wins an election? Last time I checked, the media was one of the least trusted groups in America, but yet we trust them to call the elections. We also seem to be in a great hurry to know the outcome. Now, given the length and the tone of campaigns, the desire to have them over is certainly understandable. However, Inauguration Day isn't until January. So why do we have to know? What is the rush to know in early November who won if it's as, as close as this election is? Why not just take the time to make sure? Meanwhile, in Georgia, the election is far from over there. That state's two Senate seats will be decided in a runoff in January. How would you like to live in that state and be bombarded by political ads all over again? The only ones looking forward to that runoff are lawyers and media outlets. But the stakes are high. Control of the Senate is in the balance. If Democrats win, they'll have control of all three branches of government, even though Republicans unexpectedly flip some House seats. You know, I've never thought our country is best served when one party has complete control. It seems to me our government works best when there are checks and balances, and both sides are forced to work together to get things done. Now, unfortunately, of course, in recent years, political partisanship has led to more gridlock than effective governance, but some gridlock is better, I think, than one-party control, regardless of which party that is. Now, Joe Biden claims he will bring unity to a divided country. I wish him well. I hope he can do it, but I doubt that he can do it. The system is against him. Already, he has people in his own party and the media 
anxious for revenge for wrongs, real or imagined, that they feel have taken place the last four years. Yeah, there have been calls for unity, but there's almost like a hit list that's already been put out of uh, wanting to avenge some of these slights. Fighting among Democrats will make it difficult for Joe Biden to unify them, let alone those who didn't even vote for him. And in Congress, some key leaders will be gone, including the last two chairmen of the House Ag Committee, Colin Peterson, who was defeated in his re-election bid, and Mike Conaway, who decided to retire. And over in the Senate, Ag Committee Chair Pat Roberts, of course, gone too as he's retired. Now, new blood and fresh ideas are always needed, but experience is important too. I'm just glad we won't be writing a new farm bill next year. That process has become increasingly difficult even with experienced leaders. But however this election eventually turns out, I think the core problem will be the same. Strong and effective political leaders are increasingly hard to find. And it's because of the system we have and the the strength of the parties, and it's all about pushing party agenda. To me, leadership should not be measured by pushing a political party's agenda, either party. Leadership should be measured by being able to bring people together, including them in the process, and delivering results that then make our country stronger. So far, I've seen no signs, however it turns out, that this election will accomplish that. So that's my those are my thoughts on where we're at here post-election. I think uh, there's a lot more to be written on this and reported on this. We'll see how willing the media is to, uh, to actually report on it. Making sure that the votes that were made correctly and legally, making sure those are counted, and let's clear, clear out the process that allows for uh, illegal ballots to be cast. Regardless of who wins, let's just make sure we fix the process and make it as good as it can possibly be. We're all better served if that's the case when we have election integrity. That really what was on the ballot this time, election process integrity. All right, those are my thoughts. Tomorrow, we're going to take a look at the, the WASDE numbers, the latest WASDE numbers, and we're also going to take a look at the latest U.S. meat export numbers and uh, see what those numbers have to tell us. It's a year of looking at numbers, isn't it? All right, that wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Have a safe day, a good day, and hope you can tune in again and be with us tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.